It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Hey there, Dr. Ross Green here for a change. Welcome to Parenting the Challenging Child. I'm delighted to be able to be on today's program along with my colleague from Lives in the Balance, Kim Hopkins-Betts. Kim, how are you? I'm doing well. Thanks very much. Good. Uh, we do not have either of our parents on yes, but that gives us time to make a few plugs. First of all, if you want to call into the program, that's 347-994-2981 and press the number one. Uh, secondly, if you are interested in having The Kids We Lose, the Lives in the Balance documentary, screened in your area or community or at your school, Go to thekidsweloose.com and uh, contact us. Um, If you are on that website and you go to the screenings page, you can see just how many places are already screening the film. And of course, our goal is to get as many eyes on that film as possible, especially now that the United States Education and Labor Committee is considering the issue of restraint and seclusion um, and what, if anything, the United States government should do to regulate its use. Um, And if you want to be particularly involved in our efforts uh, to advocate for change, then go to the Lies in the Balance website and sign up to become an advocator in the advocacy section Um, and you can help us make a difference for these very vulnerable kids and all of their caregivers. Kim, is there anything else that I want to make a plug for before we get going here? Mm, I think that's pretty much everything I was thinking about. Um, A couple of film festivals that the kids we lose is... Yeah, there's two film festivals coming up. There's one in Philly uh, next Friday, it's uh, March 15th, and then there's another screening at the uh, Los Angeles Women's International Film Festival um, about nine days after that in Los Angeles, and all of those details are on the Kids We Lose website. It's very exciting. Well, especially exciting. Film festivals don't excite me all that much. Um, I think they excite our filmmakers probably more than they do me. Impact excites me. And to the degree that um, film festivals believe that this is an issue worthy of having people be aware of, by golly, 
I'll take film festivals. In the meantime, we want to get this film seen by as many people as possible. So if it's possible for people to screen it in their communities, please be in touch with us through the Kids We Lose website. Anything else we should cover before we get started? We may have neither of our parents on the phone with us today, but we'll see. I did get a message from Jennifer that she's just dealing with something at her office but hopes to be on shortly. Great. And I do not know what Stella's status is today. I'm assuming we may not she was, have Stella She's unable today. to join us today. Yeah, not today, but hopes to be with us soon in the future. Great. Good. So once again, the call-in number, 347-994-2981. Let's start with email, shall we? Sounds good. And this There's is a, a mom who's there's a bunch. This is a mom who has been waiting very patiently since January to hear our thoughts on her situation. So here we go with this first one. Uh, I have a nine-year-old son who had an abrupt onset this past September of very challenging symptoms that have ultimately been diagnosed as obsessive compulsive disorder with tics, possibly Tourette's syndrome to be seen. Uh, with this has come a significant amount of anger and explosiveness that has been incredibly challenging for our son and our family relationships and function. We are in the care of a psychologist, psychiatrist, and neurologist, have started an SSRI antidepressant, and are debating an antipsychotic medication as well. We have been in dire need of a parenting paradigm, and we were encouraged to read The Explosive Child this fall as that approach to navigating these challenges completely resonates with my belief system and philosophy as a parent and educator. We have been trying to implement as best we can, although it is very challenging. We have identified lagging skills and unsolved problems, put a lot of the unsolved problems in Plan C. We have tried Plan B with some success and some challenges and are committed to continuing to press on. We have tried to reduce Plan A as much as we can. All of that said, the vast majority of our unsolved problems stem from screen use. Our son seems to be physically addicted to the games on the iPhone, and it is nearly impossible to limit this. Operatively determined a series of limits during the week uh, to a certain extent, but every time it's time to stop, we navigate a possible explosion, even when the stop time is completely consistent with the solution we came up with together. We have tried to collaboratively come up with alternatives to the phone for weekends where phone use is now beyond what we can allow looking forward. And while we found some things we can leave the house to do instead, we cannot be at home without struggles around the phone. We have tried to teach him and offer him other ways to relax and calm outside of the phone as the root seems to be that it's his primary self-soothing mechanism right now with limited success. I went back to your book to see what guidance I could find, and I did see the section on when children don't follow through with solutions and the recommendation that we continue to look for solutions that are more realistic. However, I'm just losing confidence that with the intensity of the draw of the phone for our son, we can problem solve our way out of this. We are debating a serious plan A move of eliminating screen time completely so that we can try to get back to using time in other ways and helping our son find himself outside of it but we are afraid of the upheaval this may cause in our relationship and worried that without a replacement in place, our son will really struggle. We are also debating additional medication to lower the temperatures so that we may better work to address the problems. Apologies for the long preamble, and of course this is only a piece of the context, but my core question, 
is around any insight on the problem-solving approach when the power of screens is involved. It is extremely hard to get our son to follow through on his end of collaborative solutions when it means giving up the phone. I know many families struggle with screens, so I'm wondering if any specific insights have arisen in recent years beyond the core tenets of the model. Has people used CTS to navigate this one? Have you seen it with done with success in extreme cases of screen addiction and how? Your model has helped us in a time where we needed a roadmap desperately, and I thank you for that and really want to stick with it. But without some new ideas to move forward, I'm not convinced I can make it work around the phone issues. So there you have it. Um, and of a course, popular we don't topic. know what has a popular topic indeed. Um, you want to go first on that one, or would you like me to? I'm sure this comes up well, in I the think... B team frequently. It comes up regularly, and I know you and I had a conversation recently because another parent had emailed with the same terminology of addiction to screens and does Plan B work with addiction, particularly addiction to screens. And um, I really enjoyed what you had to say about it, and I think folks would want to hear from you on this very hot topic first. Well, that assumes that I can remember um, whatever sage wisdom <laughs> I uh, came forth with when you and I talked about it last. What I usually say is that the word addiction uh, doesn't help. Um, but what I am hearing is that the child is really, really attracted to screens. And I'm hearing the theory that um, he's finding it to be very self-soothing. So um, obviously you want to stick with plan B on this as long as you can. Um, I don't find that it's one that necessarily solves quickly. I find that it's one that is often rocky on the way to a resolution. I find that especially when you add something like obsessive compulsive disorder to the mix, that, um, well, that's another reason I probably wouldn't use the word addiction. Um, I, I could even use the word compulsion in the case of OCD, but I don't really love that term either. Um, if it's what we need to get from the child in the empathy step, and I don't know if we have this or not, is um, what's difficult, kid, in terms of putting away the screen. And further down the road, since there are already solutions in place for that, um, what um, is hard about getting off the screen when he has promised to. So I need the details because it's the answers to those questions that are going to help me know what kind of solutions are actually viable and why the previous solutions haven't worked out so well. In the absence of that information, I'm stuck with useful but what I would call insufficient information. Screen addiction is insufficient information. Um, the diagnoses that may be contributing to the problem, insufficient information, although I don't know if the screen problem was an issue before this um, deterioration in the child's functioning. Um, uh, it's self-soothing is a theory. I don't know if we've heard that from the child. So I think the empathy step is going to be key here because I'm missing some crucial information 
about exactly what it is that's hard about getting off the cell phone and exactly what's hard about um, the solutions that haven't worked so far. But I think the information that we would get in the empathy step would move us beyond the word uh, uh, addiction, would move us beyond the word compulsion, would either verify or not the theory that the phone is self-soothing, and would set the stage for solutions. All of that said, this is a very tough unsolved problem for many folks. As I said earlier, it doesn't solve quickly most of the time or evenly, but I have seen people make significant progress on this issue, but only if we get the very specific information that we need in the empathy step of Plan B. Kim, what did I miss? Um, I think you hit most of it. I mean, you know, when we talked before, you had said that sometimes using the word addiction and that label gives us a little bit of a justification that we've got to use plan A because it's, you know, it's an addiction, right? Um, but you talked a lot about it being semantics. It's a descriptive way of saying it's a serious problem for sure. Um, and then I would just add that in our Facebook group, the B team, there are lots of great stories if you use the search function of folks who have had made progress using plan B with this, um, with those very powerful seductive screens. And again, it's a pretty hot topic, so tons of posts come up about that. Um, but many of them do include some, um, you know, positive stories about how Plan B has helped. Uh, although, I, you know, I certainly understand that parents might jump to Plan A because they're so fearful of, you know, what they read about what screens could be doing to their kids' brains and all of that stuff. Um, but certainly encourage Plan B, you know, as much as possible. You know, the other thing I would add to this is we've got a kid here who had a abrupt onset of yeah. pretty serious difficulties fairly recently. And I guess I'm curious um, what's happened since mom emailed us in January, and whether the boy's condition has stabilized to any degree. One of the things I would say is that although I am allergic to the thought of giving a kid carte blanche on screen time use, I don't like destabilizing kids even worse. So um, if the screen is self-soothing right now and we don't think that we've achieved a level of stability yet, um, I'm not sure, especially hard, on an unsolved problem that we fear might destabilize things even further. Um, just one man's thought there, um, obviously, because this is a radio program and because we don't know this boy or his mom and because um, this does not take the place of clinical care, I'm glad that this boy is in the care of a psychologist, a psychiatrist, and neurologist. But I think stability comes first. Um, and I'd be reluctant to take a full swing at an unsolved problem that we fear could cause greater instability if we're still in the midst of an unstable situation. I guess that's my last thought on that. Kim, any other that's thoughts? Good point. 
No, I think we covered it pretty much. Let us move on to some other people who've been waiting a while for us to um, have this program. Here's the next one. Once again, the call in number 347-994-2981. Let's um, move on to this next email. Obviously, we wish the mom and her son all the best and we certainly have our fingers crossed that the care that he is receiving has helped a lot since January. Uh, here's the next one. I just completed the explosive child in a whopping four hours as I was unable to glue myself from the content. As the mom of a kid with behavioral challenges, I have found this to be the most helpful resource that I have yet encountered. Other literature in my lineup includes self-reg, Raising Your Spirited Child, and 123 Magic. Although interesting reads, I found myself disappointed in the lack of a plan. Now that I have completed The Explosive Child, I realize that I have been doing it all wrong. To give a brief background, these are some long emails today, by the way, just fair warning. To give a brief background, I work in special education at a local elementary school as a physical therapist. I encounter a wide variety of behaviors on a daily basis and have always prided myself, hold on, where am I? Where am I? Prided myself in my ability to manage and de-escalate behaviors. Ah, manage and de-escalate. We're not allergic to those words. We would just rather have people not have to manage and de-escalate. There's some editorial content. I felt like I had the cat in the bag when dealing with behaviors until I had my son He's almost five years old, and the words that have stuck with me deeply are that he can do well if he is able to. This shift in mindset is so important while simultaneously breaking my heart that I have imposed a a plan A mindset on a child that simply does not have the emotional regulation to handle it. The book does leave me with a couple of questions. I understand that the book is applicable to school-aged children and also with varying diagnoses. My son was diagnosed with sensory processing disorder and ADHD and currently received occupational therapy to address his sensory concerns and speech and language services as well. We are trying everything humanly possible to not have to medicate him and are very thankful that he's been doing well in school with all his supports in place. I'm so happy that his teacher is able to experience the endearing, funny, inquisitive child that he is. Unfortunately, at home, we see a different side. He's hitting, although not constant. I find myself gravitating towards plan A more than I should. I understand that keeping it together at school and then losing it at home is typical, but here is my question. How do you recommend handling physical aggression from a young child, particularly towards his younger sibling, one-year-old brother? My son has difficulty thinking more abstractly and providing answers to what why, when, where questions during drilling. For observation, I notice that it is not like his baby brother getting into space due to fear of him taking a toy, etc. Today in Target, he bit the baby quite hard when he put his hand near his face. I had no idea how to handle the situation, so I packed up when we left abruptly. I hope my question is making sense, but how do I handle this? Surely I cannot keep them separated on the days that we are home from school and work, my son has no impulse control, very poor emotional regulation, and very, with capital V-E-R-Y, 
poor frustration tolerance, primarily at home, thankfully. Throw a one-year-old toddler into his personal space, and it is pure catastrophe. I just can't sit here and watch my poor one-year-old get hit and bit. Do I keep pushing the proactive plan B and pray that he becomes more familiar with the process? I have tried every sticker chart, pom-pom jar, toy train jail, prize box, and positive reinforcement until I am blue in the face. I am committed to working on the strategy suggested in the book, but what about a child that is so impulsive and does not know why they hit their brother? It can be in any circumstance that his brother approaches him. I appreciate and greatly value your insight. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for writing in, and we're glad to take this one on. Kim, you want to give it a whirl, or you want me to start? And by the way, we have been joined by, well, I'm not sure we've been joined by Jennifer, I believe. Hang on one sec. I'm trying to unmute. This is not happening. Well, Kim, go ahead. We'll see if we can unmute the person who's called in. Go ahead. Oops, that's the issue. Kim got disconnected. I'm on my own. Although I think we now have Jennifer. Yep. Jennifer, is that you? You do. Yep, that's me. Hi, Jennifer. <laughs> it just told me I was unmuted. <laughs> got it. You just got unmuted. And, Kim, if you're listening, I couldn't unmute you, so um, please call back in. I didn't realize that Kim had dropped off the call. Um, Jennifer, did you hear all of that? I heard some of it. I didn't hear quite all of it. Um, then why don't I start? I don't think. There's Kim. Sure. And now she's unmuted. Let me give this a whirl. The first thing I would say is that, boy, this mom sure does seem to be working hard at trying to make things better. And she's also working very hard at keeping her son off medicine. And that's admirable. It's admirable so long as it's going well. But it doesn't sound like it's going well, especially at home. And, of course, it remains to be seen how long it's going to continue going well at school. I am very glad that the impulsiveness and um, poor self-regulation is not interfering at school and that medicine doesn't seem to be needed at school. But there are some things that are going on at home that medicine would actually do well. That, of course, places the mom in a bit of a conundrum because stimulant medication, which is the kind most often used for poor impulse control and for poor self-regulation, is more often used at school and is more often a daytime medicine. Um, it might give this mom some benefit over the weekend, though, and thankfully these are not, generally speaking, blood-level medicines. So while I admire her efforts to keep her son off medicine, um, just food for thought here, we don't want to deprive her son of medicine that could be doing him and the one-year-old and the whole family a lot of good. But that's actually not my main point. I don't know why I started with that one. But it's not my main point. My main point is this. Um, as the mom knows, sticker charts and pom-pom jars and toy train jails and prize boxes and positive reinforcement and even being blue in the face are not part of the CPS model. Um, 
But it does sound like there are a lot of expectations the five-year-old is having difficulty meeting, many of them when the five-year-old is in the presence of the one-year-old. And those are all specific, individual, unsolved problems that need to be solved, excuse me, proactively and collaboratively. And so while I'm glad that the explosive child has made its mark and that the mom is also trying to stay away from plan A and that she knows that kids do well if they can, all of that's the philosophical part of the model, but the practical part of the model is we need a list of unsolved problems. Each situation that her son is having difficulty meeting expectations needs to be on our list, and then we need to start solving those problems. And what I'm not gleaning from this email is that any of that has actually been done because I'm not reading anything about having done plan B with the five-year-old, nor am I reading about any solutions that they've come up with. What I'm mostly reading about are interventions that would flow from a kids do all if they want a mentality. I guess that's my two cents. Um, let's, if we haven't already, let's make our list using the assessment of lagging skills and unsolved problems. And if we haven't already, let's make sure that we're coming up with solutions in plan B that are realistic. Realistic meaning that the solution is doable even with a kid who is unmedicated for his ADHD. And if we find that we can't come up with any solutions that are realistic for a kid who is, has at least a moderate case of ADHD, then that may tell us something about whether medication would be beneficial here. That's my thoughts. Kim, did you hear a lot of the email? Because I know you got cut off. I don't know if you or Jennifer want to add your thoughts to the mix. Yeah, sure. I heard the email, yeah. And I don't know, for some reason, Blog Talk Radio decided to hang up on me, but I'm back. I wanted to <laughs> say happens. to this mom that, yeah, I know, it said goodbye. Um, I wanted to say to this mom that uh, a lot of her story, though not all of it, is very similar to what goes on in my own house, um, except a little bit different age range. But my son, who's three, um, does quite well at school, you know, 95% of the time. He has some blips for sure. Um, But at home, the screaming, the laying himself on the floor tantruming, and the physical aggression, although he has an older sibling, so it's not as dangerous, but he does hurt her. we have. And so, so I feel you. Um, and I think, you know, the, the way, cause one of the main questions was, you know, what am I supposed to do when he's hurting, you know, in her home, the baby, well, you got to keep the baby safe. Right. Um, and in, in figuring out in, in doing the list of the unsolved problems, like you mentioned, then you can planfully figure out how to keep the baby safe. And I know that mom said it's not realistic to have them apart you know, all day long. Of course not. And yet there's going to be some time that will, will emerge as predictable as far as when um, you might be able to put some things in place to make sure that um, the safety thing could be taken care of ahead of time. Of course, if it happens in the heat of the moment, yes, you've got to keep the baby safe. Um, and I would also say, what was my next thought here? Um, 
She mentioned something about him having difficulty answering questions, but I didn't quite write a full note on that when you were talking. I don't know if I got that down right, but it doesn't know why he does things. You know, my three-year-old son can't really tell me why either, and yet um, I do a lot of uh, guessing with him, like, is it about this, or did sister do that, or did you not expect that sister would do this, did you want sister to do this, it sounds, you know, and so, and I know when I'm right, because I can read it from his facial expressions, he calms down when I get it right, so I have to do a lot of guessing, and he doesn't necessarily you know, use the five finger method like we like to do. He can't quite do that yet, but he gives me other indicators <laughs> that I got it right. Um, and we've reduced the amount of sister getting hurt and the amount of screaming. And I got to tell you, my son's scream is one of those ones that could like break windows. It is horrendous, right? <laughs> um, it is. It, it definitely makes us want to do plan A, <laughs> which only makes it worse. But, um, you know, uh, shoot, what was I saying? Um, oh, we've been able to decrease the screaming and the tantrums and, and the hurting of sister by um, teaching him some language he didn't have before, like how to take turns and asking for a turn. Can I have a turn in a couple minutes? That's one phrase he's learned. It's, it's decreasing episodes beautifully. There's some others like that, but that's for him. Um, you know, and that's through us working with him to figure out, like, how come this didn't go better and understanding as much as we can, but, of course, taking a lot of guesses in his case because he's so young. Um, so anyway, um, food for thought around he might not be able to tell you why, but you could do some educated guessing and see what feedback he can give you in whatever way he can that you might be close um, so that you have information that can be useful in coming up with a solution that has a shot of working. But things can get better, for sure. Jennifer, what do you think? Well, Anything to add? I think that when, whenever I hear someone talking about things being really, really horrible at home, two things come into my head. And the first one is be very gentle with yourself, Mom. Um, you know, you're, you're suffering through this. And the more gentle you are with yourself, the more gentle you're able to be with your kids. Give yourself a lot of grace. Uh, the other thing that occurs to me is plan C is your best friend. Plan C, everything that you can. And that's where going through the ALSUP can be very helpful because if you go through and you make that list and you say, okay, this is what I'm going to concentrate on first. And it's, you know, keeping, you know, difficulty being safe with younger siblings. Um, then people feel, I find, especially when they're first starting off with, with using Plan B, what I hear on the B team is that they're very hesitant to plan C the other things, that it feels like giving in, it feels like letting go, and you're not doing that. It's you're recognizing that you can't fix everything all at once. So instead of continuing to allow my stress level to rise because I'm trying to solve this problem and these six other problems, I'm recognizing that I'm not going to be able to solve these six other problems right now. So I'm just skipping the part where we all get aggravated and it doesn't happen anyway and just letting it go. Uh, 
The other thing that I would say is that I understand that medication hesitation. Um, we started my son on medication the summer between kindergarten and first grade. And it was the hardest thing we ever had to do. And there were a lot of people who were very willing to share their opinions about why that was wrong with us. But it gave him the ability to be able, it didn't minimize who he was. It gave him the ability to be who he was without all of the other stuff getting in the way. And it may be a gift that you give your child to explore that possibility. So that's what I have to add. It is, um, boy, you guys have some very good advice there. Um, Medication is a very hard decision. Um, I also, there's things that medicine does well and there's things that medicine does not do well at all. And there's no question that, especially in the United States, medicine is over-prescribed, <laughs> um, mostly in my opinion, because people aren't exactly sure what else to do. Um, with, the, with impulsiveness and hyperactivity and inattention, it's interesting because the medicines that are most commonly used for that, fortunately, have a side effect profile that isn't especially concerning. And I, there's many medicines that people have put kids on that I wouldn't be able to say that about. But for hyperactivity and poor impulse control and inattention, um, those medications have side effect profiles that are less concerning than many. Um, and so then it becomes sort of this balance between potential side effects and benefit. Um, and on those kinds of issues, the benefit usually outweighs the potential side effects because of the side effect profile of those kinds of medications. Um, but, you know, once again, I hate to devote so much of what we've been <laughs> saying to this mom to medicine because certainly if she can get by without medicine, she wants to, right? That's something to be appropriately conservative about. Um, but yes. we don't want her to be living under conditions um, that are unnecessary uh, if medication can give her and her son some benefit. I guess that's the main message. Shall we move on to one more? We have no callers today, none. Huh. And I'm not going to give the phone number now because we're not going to have time to take a call <laughs> at this point. But here we go. Here's one more email. I've read The Explosive many Child many times, listened to countless podcasts, and poured through the Lives in the Balance website. I feel like I know Plan B inside and out. The problem is, <laughs> when I try to implement it, my nine-year-old daughter freaks out. Whether I spring it on her proactively or try to make an appointment with her to collaborate on a problem in the future, she starts screaming and crying and says she won't do it or that she'll only talk to my husband. And I pointed out that, that that in and of itself is the problem, but she is resolute. She told me she'd talk to me someday like in the summer. This was written in February. 
Uh, I wanted the first problem to be work on to be the fact that she has difficulty talking about any problems with me, but can't even get that going. How am I supposed to solve any problems when she refuses to talk to me, period, about anything? She is going to therapy and has just told her therapist that I talk too much, so I've been working on that. My husband thinks our long pattern of ineffective communication on both parts has led to where we are. Also wanted to mention that my daughter suffered, suffered a major physical trauma, lawnmower accident, when she was three. I wonder if this incident plays into some of her lagging skills. She pretty much has all of the lagging skills, especially uh, inflexibility and low frustration tolerance. She seems to have difficulty expressing herself verbally, which the therapist wonders is the result of her accident, as it happened before she was fully verbal. Just wondering what you think. Guys, want to give that a whirl? <laughs> That's a lot of supposition. All right, in here, so I'm gonna. Whether <laughs> it was a lawnmower accident or not, doesn't matter. We don't know what it is. Maybe it was the lawnmower accident. Maybe she would have been having difficulty expressing herself verbally, with or without the lawnmower accident. We'll never know. Maybe she would have been inflexible anyways. Maybe she would have had difficulty talking to mom anyways. We don't want to be thinking about the lawnmower accident because we cannot answer the question of whether it was the lawnmower accident with any level of precision, even though I fully appreciate the desire to understand what caused all of these difficulties. You can't answer that question with any level of precision. And it's very easy to point at one thing. I don't usually find that it's one thing, but I don't usually spend much time on figuring out what thing it is because it doesn't matter. We can't do anything about the lawnmower accident now, even though I have the feeling, I can only imagine, that it was very traumatic for everybody. But here's my thought. I like the idea of talking with your daughter about difficulty talking with mom about problems. I love it. I just don't know if mom's the one to have that conversation. I don't know if that's the way the ball is going to get rolling. So while I agree that it would be great for the daughter to talk to the mom at some point, I think the person to do that plan B with the nine-year-old daughter on that unsolved problem is the dad. Let's just get the ball rolling with plan B then maybe mom can sit in and not say anything. Then maybe mom could actually start to say some things in a future plan B. Then maybe mom could even lead a plan B with dad present. All progress is incremental. If she's talking to the dad, then the ideal person at the moment to solve the problem, difficulty talking with mom about problems, is dad. What do you guys think? (laughs) I'm with you. Exactly what I was going to say, and that's that's not a confession. That's, you know, just a different way to get things going, and that's an okay thing to do. And the goal is still to get mom involved as you laid out, Um, but that sounds like a natural place to start. Jennifer, did you run into this? Uh, (laughs) When we first started using Plan B in our house, uh, yeah. There was a lot of resistance, and but I think that 
my son had just been plan aid for so long, he didn't believe that that was how things were going to go. Uh, he didn't understand what was happening, and his first instinct was always, I'm going to end up in trouble at the end of this conversation, so I'm not having it. And so uh, there's a, a entry on the B team where I talk about the conversation that he and I had where I explained the plan B process to him. And at nine, this this woman's daughter is old enough to understand the basics of the conversation. Uh, and I started off just by saying to him, there's been a lot of yelling and, and there's been a lot of unhappiness and I don't like it when we walk away from a conversation feeling unhappy with each other. That's not how I want our family to be. And I, I don't think that's how you want it to be either. Uh, and the other thing that came out of that and the other thing that I was thinking about as I was listening to you read it is that the first step of that plan B conversation in the empathy step is the parent listening for a reason and that a lot of times moms have a hard time just listening in the beginning and that maybe that needs to be where that conversation starts. If it can't start with dad, if dad isn't on board with plan B, and I know that that happens a lot, but if if it can't start with dad for some reason, then it, maybe it could start with I'm just going to listen today. The floor is yours. I'm not going to say anything back. I just want to hear what you have to say and start there. That's great. That's mm -hmm. great. Um, the other, another option is to not have the child, and then I got one more big piece of guidance, not have the child have to do it in words, but to do it by text yeah. if the nine-year-old is already yeah. texting or by doing it in notes or mm -hmm. sometimes the finger method that we talk about on this program sometimes, making statements and having a child hold up one to five fingers to let us know how true it is and we're guessing. Um, there are many ways to communicate with a kid besides words, but that leads me to my last thought. Um, I want to go back to it to see if I missed something. Um, I'm not seeing that this child who we who is having difficulties verbally has had a speech and language evaluation. And I'm not seeing in the email that she's receiving any type of speech and language help. And if she's not, um, and we have a child who we believe has language processing delays, forget the reason, just language processing delays, um, and potentially difficulty expressing herself verbally, that may actually... So it's nice that the therapist wondering if that's a result of the accident. I would be wondering less about that and wondering about, if it hasn't happened already, making sure that this child gets a speech and language evaluation because that could actually explain a lot that is currently unexplained 
Um, I would spend less time trying to figure out why the kid is having trouble expressing herself verbally and put more effort into finding out if there's some kind of help that she needs that would benefit her greatly in that realm. Good point. And there we have it. Three great emails, no calls. We did get a caller late in the game, but with only one minute left, we're not going to take our call from area code 707 because we won't be able to do it justice. But please call us on the next program, and um, we'll try and call early, and we'll get you in quickly because callers take priority on the program. Uh, any other last thoughts for today before we sign off? I don't think Just so. Just to mention that there's uh, only two more programs left for this school year, April and May. Mm-hmm. So then we'll take our summer break until the fall. We will indeed. Um, Thank you both, as always, for doing this along with me and sometimes without me. Let's call it a day for today. We'll be back next month. Take care, all. Great. Bye-bye. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at Chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's Chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boost by tax day to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.